G'day everyone, Um, my name is Sharon, if I haven't met you then welcome Um, and I have the privilege today of reading uh, Psalm 107 to you so I'll be reading from verses 1 to 16 and then from 33 through to 43 and they should appear. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Now we're going to fast forward through to verse 33. He turned rivers into a desert flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them and their numbers greatly increased and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all their wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Good morning, everyone, and um, Happy New Year to you all. We certainly hope that uh, 2021 might be a bit better, don't we, than 2020. Today, in our series, our short summer series on the Psalms, we look at Psalm 107, and it certainly will be helpful if you have that psalm open um, in front of you. And if you like connecting to the hub, you'll find the full outline of the sermon there on the hub, though I'll be revealing most of it as I go anyway. A couple of weeks ago, Meredith and I were having dinner with Helen Filmer. Yes, wake up, Helen, hello. In the course of that meal, we uh, shared some of the many times that we had seen um, God move in our lives, guiding us, providing for us, um, sometimes in what can only be described as miraculous ways. 
Later on, I was reflecting on how good that conversation um, had been because I realised um, how easy it is to forget some of the great ways in which God has shown his love and goodness to us. Each of us had experienced tragedy in the last few years um, with loved ones being taken by various forms of cancer, but nevertheless God's goodness had been unmistakably evident throughout our lives. And given the year we've just had, um, in which worldwide something like now 1.8 million people have died as a result of COVID-19, it seems good to once again remind ourselves that in a broken, uh, flawed and sinful world of God's goodness, especially his goodness to his people. And that's what Psalm 107 does. It's set against really one of the worst periods of Israel's history and yet it resounds with praise to God for what I've called today God's wonderful goodness. Now, the psalm is likely set against um, uh, the return from exile of Israel. You might know about that, how uh, Israel was um, bundled off, carried off uh, by the all-conquering Babylonians to a foreign land. And it's really difficult for us to conceive of what that period must have been like uh, for God's people. The loss of the land that had been promised to them way back with Abraham the destruction of the temple, the very symbol of God's presence among his people at that time and their entire way of life being upended and turned upside down. This psalm and its celebration of God's goodness is born out of that um, desperate period of anguish and loss. And one of the most interesting things I think for us about the content of this psalm will be to notice how many of its features find their ultimate fulfilment and end uh, today in the ministry of Jesus. The psalm breaks uh, quite easily into three parts. Verses 1 to 3 um, have an opening praise of God good, God's goodness and then the big section from 4 to 42, the greater part of the psalm, is given over to a review of God's goodness and then the psalm closes with one verse at the end, uh, verse 43, a call to finally reflect and heed the lessons we see as a result. So first then we begin with God's goodness praised. Verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Now even a cursory review of the Psalms uh, will show that despite trouble, pain, anguish, this is one of the great convictions that runs through the whole book, the conviction that God is good. It's not just head knowledge either that uh, we know it because it says it, but it's a conviction born out of experience. It's heartfelt. Typical in this regard are the words of Psalm 34, 8, very well known, taste and see 
that the Lord is good. It is, of course, God's people for whom this is particularly true. God's uh, goodness ought to be especially known and seen in the thankfulness of his people. It is God's people who, verse 2 says, are redeemed, who've been brought back from the brink of oblivion. In the context of this psalm, if it is the return of exile, they would know that indeed, Israel would know that indeed they had been brought back from oblivion. But so have we been rescued, as we've just sung earlier, from the oblivion of a godless, decayed and fallen world, subject one day to the inevitable judgment of God. And it's God's people whom verse 3 says that he has gathered from east and west and north and south. Here today God has gathered us from all walks of life, from different races, backgrounds, different areas to make up his people here at Grove. And that's why we sit here today, because God has gathered us together. We then, more than anyone else in the world, have reason to say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Yet it is easy at times for our troubles in this world to overwhelm us. And it's easy to forget the goodness of God's mercy and grace towards us. And I suspect that was the same for Israel too. So the psalmist proceeds to take time to remind the people of God's goodness. From his goodness praised, we proceed to his goodness reviewed. And this takes up most of the psalm from verses 4 to 42. What we see here is reference to specific ways in which God's goodness has been displayed to Israel in verses 4 to 32, as well then as a general reference to God's good character as the one who continues to act in this way in verses 33 to 42. First then I want to look at God's um, goodness and the specific things that are pointed out here. There are three specific scenarios of what the experience of Israel was and the disasters from which God had rescued them. Each of these scenarios has a cycle, you'll see, as we look at the text. One of calamity, followed by a cry to God, followed by God's rescue and salvation, and then a final thanksgiving. Note the refrain, the refrain that occurs throughout the psalm. In verse 8, Let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. That occurs again in verse 15, and then again in verse 21, and then again in verse 31. Firstly then, God's specific goodness is revealed to those in need. Verses 4 to 9. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to the city where they could settle. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds to mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. 
Here are people who were lost and hungry, thirsty, exhausted. And why is that? Well, verse 4 says, because they had no city to settle in. In other words, they had not found a home. They wander through like looking for a home in which they can settle, but find none. Of course, in literal terms, this was true for the exiled Jews, thrown into a foreign world, total alienated from their way of living, one in which they did not fit in any way. But when they cried to God and he led them in a straight way, his way, a way back to a city where they could settle. Here is the God, if we cry to him, who satisfies and fills our needs. How clearly the New Testament applies these words to Jesus. For our greater needs are surely spiritual as well as physical. So it is Jesus who says in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled, that is, satisfied. It is Jesus who declares in the Gospel of John that he is the way of life. Jesus gives the hungry the bread of life. Jesus who quenches the thirsty with living water. And it is Jesus who has gone to prepare a place for us, a city, a home, our real home, the city of God, where Revelation 22 says we will see him face to face forever and ever. The goodness of God spoken about here in this psalm to Israel reminds, finds its ultimate fulfilment then in an eternal relationship with Jesus. So whether you're materially rich or poor, to those who understand the emptiness of life, as we experience it. To those who know that their life is headed nowhere, their cry to God is satisfied with the Lord Jesus. Jesus, the bread of life, the living water, the way to life, the way to the city of God. You know, the research in terms of church life tells us that most people who become Christians come to know God in the time of need. That was certainly true for me a long time ago when I was just 20 years old. And I suspect it's true for many of you sitting here today. Here in a relationship with Jesus, in belonging to a community of God's people, that's where real satisfaction can be found. Let us, brothers and sisters, continually give thanks to God for such goodness and love. The second group of people that experience God's goodness here have a common factor. Their distresses are caused by sin. But even here, God's goodness also stretches to those in sin. The review of uh, the consequences of sin run from verse 10 right through to verse 22. In verses 10 to 16, the consequences of sin lead to bondage. So verse 10, some eat sat in in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands 
and despise the plans of the Most High. In verses 17 to 22, sin leads to foolishness and sickness. So verse 17, some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. For Israel, of course, this would no doubt refer to their literal foreign bondage experienced in times like the exile and domination of other nations and the disease and sickness that often came we can read about as a result of their rebellion to God. But both Old and New Testaments widen these experiences in all forms of bondage and sickness that come from rebelling against the words of God. Sin, my friends, is bondage. The bondage of thinking that we know how to live life better than God does. The bondage which leads to the mess we find our world in today. The scourge, for instance, of drug addiction, where happiness is often sought in chemicals that give you a high rather than God. The massive increase in family breakdown, let's say over the last half century, which has led to what could be considered really the greatest social upheaval in family life since the Industrial Revolution. Greed. The prevalence of greed that results in the inequities between rich and poor. Too numerous across the world to name today. The drive for self-fulfilment. Where money, sex and power dominate and depress. And then there are those strangely prophetic words of verse 18. They loathed all food. Which of course we could today apply to the various eating disorders that are a reality in our world, unfortunately. Sometimes, of course, due to the pressures women feel to be slim and model-like in beauty. To rebel against the words of God and despise his counsel, as verse 14 notes, leads to darkness and the deepest gloom. Yet even then, if we cry out to the Lord, there's no situation for him that is beyond recovery. So in verse 19 we read, When they cried to the Lord in their trouble, he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. If we cry to the Lord, he will save us from distress. He will break our bondage. He will turn our darkness into light. Again, for us, salvation from these things comes to ultimate fruition in Jesus. It was Jesus who came not to be a wowser, as some often say, but to give life abundantly. It's Jesus who said in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teaching you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
But the full picture of human bondage and sickness comes from our rejection of God and leading to death which is eternal. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Therein lies both the bondage and sickness of sin, its wages and the wonderful goodness of God in the gift of eternal life. That alone, it seems to me, is reason enough to tell of God's works with songs of joy, as verse 21 says. Well, then the third and final group to which God's goodness is revealed is those in trouble. Verse 23, and you should really recognise some of these verses quite easily. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Now when you read those words, friends, what words in the New Testament and the Gospels do they remind you of? They should remind you of an incident quite quickly. Surely the incident recorded for us in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus calms the storm for his disciples. If you read Mark 4 and that incident and, uh, and you read these words, the similarity is incredible. The disciples are in great peril. A violent storm drives up where life is in the balance. Jesus utters a word. The storm dies down. Calm is restored. Trouble averted. The details are almost identical if you look at them. No wonder the disciples responded at that time. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. But Jesus' response in Mark chapter 4 is to rebuke them for their lack of faith, their lack of confidence in his power and goodness to take care of them. Life can bring many troubles, can't it? Crisis, heartaches, even for the Christian. Why, why does a child die? Why do unforeseen and tragic things happen, happen to members of our family? Why do some people have many children only to abuse them and others are unable to have any? Why, if God is good, am I unemployed? Why has my husband turned away from God? Or why doesn't he become a Christian in the first place? You know, we have some insights, but we simply do not know or understand the whole picture. But when it comes to God's goodness, this is what we know, that whatever the stress and trouble and anguish in this life, God can and does bring peace and trust in the promise of a trouble-free world to come. 
Come to me, said Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We may not know the reasons or have the answers, but many Christians down the ages can testify that even in the greatest tragedies, there the goodness of God is often met most of all, bringing peace and trust in God's unfailing love for his people. Here then are specifics of God's goodness outlined in this psalm. A city and a home for those in need, healing, forgiveness and freedom for those in sin, peace and trust for those in trouble. If you know these things, friends, you know that God is good. As verse 32 says, Let us exalt him in the assembly of his people. Well, having reviewed the elements of God's specific goodness to his people, the psalm draws near to a close with um, God's goodness revealed generally. In in other words, verses 33 to 42 change tack and begin to declare in general terms God's goodness of character. The specific examples already noted uh, are in fact the way God commonly acts. That's what he is like. It's the sort of person he is. So 33 to 42 declare two common elements of God's character. God's goodness is shown in his justice and his compassion and grace. First of all, God acts by reversing the fortunes of the wicked. 33, verse 33, he turned the rivers into desert, following springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived in the land. <clears throat> the wicked and proud are brought low. Their rivers are turned to desert. Now, we often like to, we do, use the term wicked um, to just refer to what we see as very evil people. But I'm afraid that's not the way God sees it. Or the Bible uses it. Because wicked wicked really, in God's terms, refers to anybody who seeks to live independently of him rather than serve the one who created you. In Australian terms you might say um, it's anybody who seeks to do their own thing. A rather different definition. But secondly, God also acts generally by lifting up the needy and upright. If you go down to verse 39. Then their numbers decreased they were, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste, but he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks, the upright, See and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. For the needy and upright, of course, God's behaviour is the opposite of the wicked. They are rescued from their affliction and rejoice at God's goodness. On many occasions, of course, God's time scale is very different to ours. We would like an immediate reaction, but it is often different for God in the way he acts. 
Yet even in the space, let's say, of just the latter part of the 20th century, we've seen the collapse of godless communism, the defeat of cruel leaders such as Saddam Hussein or Pol Pot, and the reminder of the fickleness of material success and the downfall of people like the Alan Bonds or Christopher Scases of our world. On the other hand, we have Jesus' own words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, theirs, not those of higher profile, is the kingdom of heaven. This is God's consistent and general goodness to the world, reversing the fortunes of the wicked and lifting up the needy and upright. It's in understanding these things that leads the psalmist to his closing verse. A reflection, a word to the wise, what we mildly, what I've called finally God's goodness considered. Verse 43. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. So having reviewed God's goodness specifically and generally, the psalm closes with a reflection, a word to the wise. Wise people, you see, heed these things. Wise people heed the warning that God will shut the mouths of the wicked and all those who live in rebellion to him, either now or in the judgment to come. If you're still thinking about responding to all that God has done for us in Jesus, friend, it's time to heed that warning. But if you have responded in repentance and faith and you have experienced God's wonderful goodness in your life, then the call is to ponder the loving deeds of God. I began earlier, of course, with a testimony to the importance of an encouragement of reflecting on the way God had guided and provided for Meredith and me over many years. Of course, at the top of the list uh, of this is the great work of Jesus to bring about our redemption and hope of eternal life through the death, through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection to new life. But there are also so many ways in which God has directed our lives, provided for our needs, answered our prayers now, right now in this life. So many ways we have experienced his wonderful goodness. Maybe over coffee. Afterwards, you might share with one another something of that in your life. And if you've not been a Christian all that long, then ask somebody who has. Two thousand and twenty began <coughs> with the worst bushfires in this country that I've ever seen, and continued with the death of people across the world in numbers not seen since the Great Wars. It's at a time like this that the Psalm calls for us to ponder God's loving deeds in salvation from sin and in times of need and trouble. As we move into 2021, especially in the context of these trying times, may our conviction and our song be that which with the psalm begins. Give thanks to the Lord.
For his unfailing love, his love endures forever. Amen.